You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Matthew, good to get you back on Real Vision. It's been a, a while since we've talked about Iran. Iran's a place that I've been intrigued with ever since I went there back in, I don't know, 2011. And I started looking at it and realizing it was like there's a big, vibrant economy that's not connected to the outside world very effectively and was one of these opportunities that felt like Russia did in 1990 or the opening of China, where it's a it's not a third world economy. It's actually quite advanced, but everybody, there's no investment capital into it, really. And you're one of the few people who invest in the market. What's your top-down thesis? Why did you start investing in Iran? Well, um, I got interested in 2016 um, when the nuclear deal was signed. And um, I, I, I never looked at it before. I mean, I knew obviously about Iran as in Persia and thousands of years of history. Um, I did trade many frontier markets from Vietnam to Kenya to Philippines and so on. China, Asia is very early, but Iran was always something that you know no one could touch, so, so, so we didn't do anything. Um, in 2016, I, I got interested. I had never met an Iranian in my life prior to my first trip there actually, so I had no bias. I, I was absolutely, okay, let's, let's just see what, what's, what's there. I realized that, okay, the stock market is, I mean, no, okay, stock market was, 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 was later, but the top-down macro picture was amazing. So you have this big country, like right now almost 84 million people, where, you know, the demographic structure is beautiful. I mean, median age, 30 years. You have probably, you know, 25 million people um, employed, two and a half people, two and a half million unemployed, a couple of million students. And then kids up to 18 years old are another 25 million. So this will become, you know, the um, next wave of employment coming into the market over the next 20 years, 18 years. Um, and, um, and then, uh, you know, it's, they are educated, right? So you start reading about it and you start meeting people and, and, and you sense that, that you know, the, 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 the level, the quality of people that you're meeting is amazing. I mean, look, on my first trip to Tehran, um, I didn't know anyone there. I just scheduled a couple of meetings with brokers and with local banks to open accounts for myself. And then I was going by myself to the local restaurants. So, you know, TripAdvisor, best restaurants in Tehran, and I was on my own. So waiters were asking me where I was from. I said, from Poland. So then they started talking to me um, about uh, Polanski, Kieślowski, so the Polish film directors. And one guy started chatting in Esperanto because it was a Polish Jew who invented Esperanto. So you guys in Poland probably know something, right? And it was his hobby, right? And so, you know, that's funny, but that just shows you, I mean, the level of people that you're, that you're meeting. Um, so, so, so this was great. Then the economy, I knew that they had, you know, the biggest combined oil and gas reserves in the world, but that was only 15% of GDP. So it's not your typical frontier market that when it opens up, they're going to start, uh, you know, producing textiles, right? No, they, they, they produce million cars per year, right? They have advanced manufacturing of um, many different um, uh, products. Not all of them maybe are advanced. Uh, so the, the, the spare parts for aeroplanes are a big problem. So you want to avoid the, the domestic flights um, over there. Um, but in general, so it looked um, as a big diversified economy that has been under sanctions one way or another, basically since 1979. So they missed on everything good that happened in emerging markets since then. So, you know, globalization, access to uh, foreign financing, uh, interest rates going down. And um, they have a good potential. So not only this commodity uh, uh, resources, but human resources, um, 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 definitely, to, uh, that will allow them to catch up. I mean, for European companies, this is right now the best place to um, 
place their factories, to take advantage of, of, of very cheap and qualified labor. I mean, salaries are lower than in Vietnam. Um, and you know, after some time, this will become a very important um, consumer market. So you know, all this in 2016, plus the potential tailwind coming from the nuclear deal signed by the Obama administration, and then the you know the most exciting thing for me was obviously the stock market because it doesn't happen too often then that you go to a new country that is opening up uh, and and there is something to do for you as a portfolio investor, right? Normally you can go and build a factory, maybe like a launch a startup, right? And here you had 600 companies listed, um, daily liquidity of around $100 million at that time um, and the lowest valuations in the world. And I mean, you know, five times earnings, maybe four times earnings, no debt, no one has any debt. Um, those, those earnings are growing. Um, the market is super inefficient because it's dominated by retail investors. There are no foreign investors. It's less than half a percent of of uh, of the market cap, um, and and on top of that, the country has the worst PR in the world, right? So it's it's it's, it's surely mispriced, right? Um, so yeah, so that so that you know, on my first trip, I opened a couple of brokerage accounts for myself. I opened a bank account. Then I transferred like you know ten thousand pounds just to test if it's actually working. It worked. So um, I decided to. Uh, you know, quit my job and and and, and launch a fund uh, that will give people access, um, Western investors access uh, to this market uh, very early before all the big institutional investors are allowed to trade. What most people don't realize is actually your people, foreigners, not US, but Europeans, are free to open a, a, a brokerage account. Um, yeah. Pain of doing it and how to manage that. What was really interesting is my introduction is I was invited by one of the Iranian investment, the Anglo-Iranian investment banks to go on a tour because I'd written about it saying this is the world's cheapest market and same conclusion as you guys. Holy shit, the demographics are incredible. What's an amazing place. And I met a guy on a bus in Iran who is one of the smartest people I've ever met, this um, Italian count. And he had... I said, what are you doing here? It was a relatively older gentleman. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, look, I was in Russia in the 80s. He goes, I know this, much like you're saying with you know, these small frontier markets, but this is actually a big frontier market that everybody's not had. So he said, well, I saw they were launching this investment bank, so I reached out to them, and as their first customer, I decided to ask them for a stake in the business. I said, well, why did you want that? He goes, well, I quite like being a gatekeeper, a toll. I take tolls. If, if this is the only vehicle allowing people in, I want a part of it. I said, so what did you actually do? He goes, oh, well, you know, we bought a bunch of, you know, we made a bunch of equity investments. Um, I said, he said, but they kind of ran that. I didn't even really look at it. He said, I said, so what were you doing? He said, yeah, I didn't really want a piece of an investment bank and I didn't really want the equity portfolio. I wanted direct access and I knew that they could get it for me. I said, okay, what did you do? He said, I bought 40% of the second largest insurance company in Iran for a P of three. He goes, yeah. it had a dividend yield of 25%. He said, it threw off so much cash. I said, what did you know about the insurance company? He goes, the Iranian insurance market goes, nothing. He goes, I just knew it, it had the second biggest balance sheet and it was just going to throw off cash. I said, so what did you do with the cash? He goes, well, I bought 40% of one of the sugar companies yeah. just from the dividends and just the flow. And he was paying P's of three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, literally things that nobody else has ever seen in their careers, except early investors in Russia and maybe very early investors in China. And then I realized how big this opportunity was, that it, this was a long-term secular opportunity and like you, I was super bullish 2016 with the Obama uh, uh, signing the deal, and then it all went on hold. So what happened yeah. to you? It all goes on hold. You must be going, oh, yeah. shit, I've just started a whole business on this. What do I do? Yeah, so look, um, a lot of our peers, so there were a couple of other funds that were launching around that time, and they they all gave up, basically. So um, um, I know that people were liquidating their position. So we decided to stay because... Um, 
well, we looked at it very long term. I looked at it very long term. So I think this is this is this is not a trade. This is this is a thing for the next decade at least. Um, and we wanted to to have exposure, but also um, there is quite a lot of history of the local um, uh, market that you can study, and you can see how um, share prices have behaved over the last 15, 20 years uh, through different currency regimes and different inflation regimes and so on. And um, and it looked that um, when you're buying at the right valuation, you should be fine, Um, obviously with volatility. So what hit hit us in in, in the first year was uh, the currency dropped by 70% in our first year of operations, right? So we managed to lose only around 15 in euro terms, because but uh, because we manage how to uh, well we figure out how to indirectly hedge the portfolio, um, but we basically had to redo the whole strategy from scratch. So I was I was I was starting with basically what you were describing. So I had this utility company that was um, trading at four to five times earnings, um, paying um, most of its earnings as dividend. So it had around 20% dividend yield. And the best thing is, it was that uh, most of its contracts were priced in euros. So it was supposed to be also hedged in euros. And so, and no debt, I mean, utility without any debt, right? So, so we had those companies that we just loved or some obvious takeover targets. You know, you're buying a, um, a company that makes small trucks, has 60 or 70% of the whole Iranian market and it was valued at less than $100 million, right? Um, it just um, it didn't make sense. So, um, but when, when, when things changed, when sanctions uh, arrived and, and the, basically when the currency started depreciating, we got rid of everything that we liked from the portfolio. And we just focused on, on, on one simple thing. We were building basic models of companies to understand who has the biggest sensitivity of EPS to the dollar price. And, most of the market cap of the Tehran Stock Exchange is long the dollar, basically. Very often, you just have dollar assets that just happen to be listed in, in, in Tehran. Um, so, you know, that's why when you look at the 15 years of history uh, of, of the index, um, it has done pretty well. I mean, the main index is since 2008, and the um, um, uh, annual performance, average annual performance, is around 13% in dollars as the total return. That's you know probably around S and P or maybe even better with bigger volatility obviously. Um, so um, you know imagine if when when you're an exporter um, the dollar rallies by fifty percent, revenues go up by fifty percent, but your earnings go up much more because of operational leverage. So we were looking for those companies that have pure export exposure, no problem with sanctions because some of them were hit by sanctions, but not all of them, um, and you know, highly geared to to the change in the in the effects, uh, and that worked in the worst in the worst quarter um, when the when the real just um, uh, went down by fifty percent. Our um, stock portfolio in local currency doubled, so we were able to show after this quarter, you know, I think plus one in euros, which was super relieving, and it actually and it actually works. I mean, this is obviously no 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 magic in it. Um, so um, the higher the dollar the more competitive the exporters are. Some of them, if they are state-owned and sell to you know, Japan or South Korea, they were hit by sanctions, so the volumes went down. But many of them um, operate in the region, and the region is actually quite a big part of, of the world. So Iran, plus all the neighboring countries, is more than 500 million people. And Iran has, is really well-connected. I mean, um, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, you have 80 million people there, not producing much, but they, they, they consume and they have to import most of the stuff they consume. So it very often comes from Iran. Um, and then you have Pakistan, Turkey, uh, up to Uzbekistan, where people speak Farsi as well as a second language. So, um, so Iran is well connected. Many of those companies export in the region. Those products are usually not affected by sanctions. Um, and... Um, and um, the um, the lower the real goes, the more competitive they are. Um, so this was one thing uh, that we that we learned how to how to hedge the portfolio basically. But then what we understood was that the biggest impact in terms of you know 
where the sanctions had the biggest impact on on on, on in which industries um, of earnings or which companies was on uh, domestic producers. Um, why? Because um, um, imports collapsed. Um, not only because of sanctions, then because of uh, you know real plummeting, then even Chinese producers were no longer competitive. But also, it was it was difficult, you know, to, to find logistics, to to make payments, insurance, and so on and so on. So what that meant that in in many product categories like consumer staples, um, um, uh, for example, um, local demand went uh, to local producers. Um, and the local producers found themselves in a situation where you know the com competitors are gone basically. So even though the market as a whole was not growing, those guys were gaining market share. And, and, and so we had a couple of ideas which companies could benefit. And the great thing is actually that you get a lot of data in Iran. So 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 you can be really data driven. So you have some uh, you know uh, hypothesis, and then you can just. Uh, Check it. Uh, wait for the data and confirm it with the data. So we were we were building small positions and then waiting for monthly data. Ah, so what type of data you get? Obviously, you get annual, quarterly, in a similar format. This is these are not the same reporting standards, but similar enough. But then you also get pretty granular monthly data uh, where you get um, sales. Uh, updates broken down into main product categories and then into volumes and prices. So every month we could see whether those companies, uh, what was happening to the volumes, what was happening to the prices, whether they were able to raise them faster than inflation or not, um, and 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 adjust our portfolio accordingly. So it was it was a, a absolutely wild ride during the uh, sanctions and currency depreciation, um, but but the system adjusts. Those companies um, adjust to this uh, in this environment. Okay, so. Now we've still got a relatively closed economy there. What is the? Do you think the change of government in the U.S. is going to reopen this? Is are we coming into the big opportunity that you and I have been waiting for in Iran? So that's the big hope, and I think so. Yes, um, it's not only Biden; uh, it's also the Senate. Um, so you have the proper blue wave, uh, which should make uh, pushing through legislation much easier. Um, but with Iran, everything is complex. I mean, Iran is a complicated situation, and it's—I mean, you know—it has been for, for two thousand years. So this won't change, I think. This won't change. So there, there, there may still be a, a couple of turns down there. So, okay, you have the right administration in the U.S. So it's 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 a huge change versus Trump, obviously. Um, but you're going to have election in Iran. The presidential election is in in June. Uh, we know that Rouhani uh, cannot run because uh, he already had two terms. So there will be a new president. We don't know who might become the president because they have those very special rules around elections. So it's supposed to be a democratic election, but the candidates have to be approved by a special council. And this, and this council um, only announces his decision around two weeks before the election. So then there is no time for campaigning. It's, 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 it's really off, but this is how, how it works there. Um, but what we know is that most likely the new president, potentially also the new cabinet, will not have such a strong relationship with the ex-Obama negotiators, which are basically on, 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 on Biden's team at the moment. Um, so it's, it will be interesting to see if they try to make something happen prior to the Iranian election. But probably not a new deal, because you know I I I I I would expect the U.S. to want to you know secure something strong and long term, so you need to have a, a new government in place. But they may try actually to perhaps influence the election somehow to maybe tilt it more towards the reformist types uh, types who would want to have a deal. So um, um, they could start with um, unlocking some funds that Iran has. In you know countries around the world um, um, that were never paid for the products that, that they offer, so it's you know they have eight billion in South Korea, a couple of billion in, in Japan, and so on, and they are lying on the, on 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 in in local banks that are just unable to send it over, um, or they could introduce some temporary um, sanction waivers, for example, for oil sales. Um, so um, I would expect to see some positive moves. Um, uh, from the U.S. towards Iran, 
Um, but but a new deal or going back reactivation of, of JCPOA probably will have to wait for the new Iranian government. What's your sense um, of talking to Iranians on the appetite for reformers versus non-reformers? Because that's always been the flip. Yeah. And Rouhani's been a, you know, a reformer in general and been generally moderate. What, what do you think the, the, the feeling of the country is right now? What do they want? So first of all, uh, when it comes to politicians, I don't think that the real difference is, is so strong that you have really reformist camps and really conservative camps. I think they're all part of the same establishment uh, with a bit different faces. At the end of the day, everything is up to the supreme leader, uh, every major, major decision. Um, but when it comes to the mood on the street, people people were so people were super optimistic under Obama, um, and then they got tired. So during the last um, uh, election to parliament, the turnout was really really low, which was in sh- strong contrast to to the presidential election uh, before, and and people people just got tired because they believed in the reformist camp, they believed in JCPOA. This didn't deliver, uh, so 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 they didn't go, they didn't vote again. So they said, you know, it doesn't matter really, and that's why you have a very uh, conservative parliament in Iran right now. Um, so I think this could change if 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 Biden. I mean, imagine we know the rhetoric of Trump, very aggressive, like people are almost expecting a war every you know every week, right? So now imagine Biden going out, smiling, right? Saying, look, guys, if we play this right, we may have a deal at some point down the line. I think, I think this would be a huge change that would bring back the optimism and, and uh, like, you know, the faith that things could improve. What is the relationship? Is there any relationship with, well, what is the relationship between Saudi and Iran? Because that's always been a stumbling block for the region. Um, and also Israel and Iran. Where are those right now? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Saudi and Iran is something in something ancient, I, I see, because the, these are Shias and Sunnis, right? So uh, same Muslim religion, but um, two, two camps um, who are still arguing who is the most important imam and have some really fundamental differences when it comes to religion. It's some, 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 some you know, detailed, detailed aspects. Um, this is one thing. Um, but another thing is that um, my sense is that, you know, Iran used to be a superpower in the region. And um, perhaps some countries around, you know, in the region um, would prefer that, um, you know, Iran stays in terms of the size of the economy as, as it is. So would not want to see it grow and develop. Hence, uh, high tensions. But... <laughs> But this is but this is what they would so okay. My view is that okay, they, they may want to see the status quo remain as it is, um, but they would not there would not be appetite for a for a big conflict in the region. Last year um, there was maybe not a conflict, but it went towards towards a military conflict, maybe. So when um the tension rose and um, Iran, well, we don't know if it was Iran, but people assume it was Iran sent drones to fire at Saudi Aramco refinery. And it shut it down, basically. And that's most of Saudi's GDP, such an easy target, right? And this is just refinery. A refinery. All the countries in the Gulf region, the really important targets are, you know, water desalination tanks, electricity, you know, power plants, right? So they understand that the risk for each of those countries is huge of having like an open conflict in the region. So I don't think that there is a real appetite to, to go to war uh, from any of the Gulf states. And, 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 actually, and actually the relations improved. I read about 
um, some, you know, diplomatic missions that went from UAE to Tehran. Um, Then um, um, Saudis started talking about um, having a ceasefire in Yemen. Um, So there was actually a progress after after those tensions. Uh, Now there seems to be some progress with Qatar as well. Um, so, so I, I wouldn't expect any any problems, like real problems over there. Uh, with Israel, I don't know. Israel has been has been vocal and consistent about one thing: they do, that they don't want any other country to have nuclear weapons uh, in the region. And I believe that they could do anything to to make sure that that this is the case. Um, however, when you look at the relations between the populations. The biggest Jewish population in the region outside of Israel is in Iran. And it's the oldest in the world outside of Cochin in India. Yeah, exactly. So I I visited many uh, mosques, churches um, in Iran, in different cities in Iran, uh, Jewish synagogues, um, and there is no police in front of them. I mean, everyone is doing his thing, right? I mean, there is um, people are tolerant and... um, um, and and there is no problem with 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 other religions. So so yeah. So um, I don't think there is a problem like a fundamental difference in in, in the views of the world between the populations. Um, it's 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 the government thing. And, and also going back to Saudi and Iran, Saudi has a very young population. It's the same for for Iran, and uh, the young generation they they don't really relate to the same values or the same historical events as the older populations, which is visible, I think, in Iran when it comes to the, um, um, you know, how young people approach the the revolutionary values versus the Western values and so on. I think it's the same in Saudis. So um, this could make a shift. I'm not saying that I would expect some some big changes, some, some, some massive, you know, changes to... To, to a different situation, but gradual changes to you know adjust the systems to to work well for the younger generation. I think this this will be happening. You can see it in Saudi. MBS is focused internally now on trying to change. He needs to create job opportunities for all the young people because they've got the same baby boom across all of the Middle East essentially. Yeah, all of the Islamic world essentially has a baby boom. Um, yeah. plus India and a couple of other countries. And Saudi looks like it wants to rebuild its economy. So it doesn't feel like it really wants to to create geopolitical tensions with Iran. I think, as you say, if Israel can broker a deal that Iran doesn't get nuclear weapons, but can have nuclear energy, you know, maybe that's okay. Maybe the region can settle. Where does Turkey play into this as well? That's the other regional superpower. Just one comment about Israel and US. I did in the future, uh, most of foreign investment will be coming actually probably from the US and Israel, uh, directly or indirectly, because they understand, you know, the, the opportunity of the local market. Sorry, you were asking you were asking about Turkey? As well, yeah. So Israel, yes. Yeah. So you think direct investment, I think the Israelis can use it as a country to manufacture cheap product in as well, because the skill set is very high. Um, and Israel, you know, is growing great guns right now. Um yeah, Turkey. How does Turkey fit into that? That's the other regional superpower. It's always historically been Turkey, um, Saudi, and Iran, and I guess Israel. And now, to some extent, Russia as well, which is that's that's next present in the region. Ask about India, China, and Russia. But first, yeah, Turkey. How does Turkey play into this? Because they've historically had a trading relationship, and a lot of banking's done through Turkey. So yes, that's why many Turkish banks are on sanctions list. Um, but look, Turkey and Iran are interesting because they are the same size in terms of the country, the same size in terms of population. Um, but I would say the opposite in terms of trade balance. Um, so Turkey is a large diversified economy, but they have to import all of their its energy needs. So every month, whatever they do, they need to spend a couple of billion dollars on getting energy into the country. So Iran is similar size, and its economy could be the non-energy economy could be same size as, as, as Turkey, meaning you know six times larger than it is right now. Um, and at the same time, they have those large oil and gas resources. And uh, in a situation without any sanctions, they 
they would be receiving a couple of billion dollars per month uh, just from selling oil. Um, so this is the natural connection between those countries. Um, so Iran uh, could be supplying energy uh, to Turkey, like to the rest of Europe. Um, they have... Um, so uh, I don't think that Turkey is perceived as 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 a as a major partner um, um, for Iran um, inside Iran. They they do have um, common on interests in certain regions in Syria, in uh, in in the Kurdistan regions so or north of Iraq, uh, where the Kurdish minority goes from Turkey to Iraq to to Iran, and I guess none of those large countries would want to see a new country uh, showing up there. So they have some um, common interests there. Um, so, so now um, for me, those countries, uh, one way or another, cooperate or, or, or not cooperate. Uh, but, 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 but that's it. I don't, I don't see any like uh, stronger connection between them. And India and Iran have historically had strong ties in the past. I mean, obviously, the Mughal emperors of India were Persians. Yes. What is their relationship right? Because, like, because I mean, Iran has all the oil and gas that India needs. It has yeah, a bunch of things that India can do with. It seems like it's an obvious place. They both have these young populations, potential high growth, slightly inflationary economies. What, what, what's the relationship right, like between India and Iran right now? Yes. So look, the energy trade is dominated by sanctions right now. So Iran, in order to sell um, oil, they keep on selling oil. We just don't know how much because most of it is smuggled, basically. So and to actually entice someone to to buy it from them, they need to offer discounts. Um, so um, um, maybe they are selling to India, for example, at a discount, and India may be buying. But also, you know, other countries were uh, more eager to to buy Iranian oil and potentially face some sanctions consequences when the oil was much more expensive. So then this discount mattered more, especially for countries like, like India, uh, where you know, high, oil high oil prices um, always uh, have an impact on their currency, on their current account and, and, and the currency and, and then inflation and so on. Um, so, um, but what they did, um, um, I remember that initially when the sanctions were introduced, Iran was able to sell to India, keep on selling to India, and was getting paid in barter in, in any other product, like even rice, um, uh, just not to use dollars or not to use the banking system, basically. And, and it was working fine. Then um, India was also building a port uh, in, in south of Iran just to go around Pakistan and be able to uh, ship products directly to Iran and then to Afghanistan. Uh, so then there, there was a lot of cooperation. Um, yeah, so, so traditionally, there's been, uh, India has been one of the biggest trading partners of Iran. Yeah, and I, and I just think as it opens up, it just becomes, I mean, it's a huge market. Um, the other two interesting players, I mean, it's amazing, this whole, I, I don't know if you've read the book, The Silk Road by Peter Frankopan, which basically yeah. Yeah, takes the history of the world basically from Iranian eyes, without being, yeah, it's yeah. not so Iranian, but it's saying, okay, if the world centers around here, what does it look like? It's fascinating. The other players in the region always have been Russia and China. What, what are they up to? China's basically allowed to freely trade because it doesn't care about SWIFT. Is that right? So they, they have banks in China that are on sanctions list because these are the banks that do all the sanctions activities, basically. Um, so they cooperate with, uh, with Iran. Um, China... Uh, China is potentially huge for Iran. China is, is a plan B to, to, the, um, to the nuclear deal with the US. Um, China is also, China's approach is not that they want to have some sort of alliance with Iran. No, they are very friendly, business friendly with all the countries in the region. So also with Saudis, they need to secure uh, their energy supplies and they want to pay for energy in something else than dollars. I mean, they don't control the dollars, which means that at some point you could imagine a scenario where they just cannot afford to buy what they require in terms of commodities, right? So um, um, they are taking advantage of um, Iranians' weaker negotiation uh, negotiation position uh, and um, and try to persuade Iran to to sell oil and get paid um, in yuan. 
uh, in Chinese currency. Um, so this is one thing. But but China is going further. So look, um, uh, Iran is obviously on 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 this um, one belt one road uh, initiative, uh, and already I think two or three years ago uh, they opened up a train connection. It's a freight train connection between Shanghai and Tehran. Uh, so we can ship products very easily. Um, um, now they they also um, it was announced uh, last year w- without details yet that they are talking about a big decade long investment program um, that China wants to do in Iran. Um, so they they said that China wants to invest four hundred billion dollars um, in Iran's infrastructure, uh, which. Uh, for Iran is, is is an amazing thing. They 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 need. I mean, everything that you spend on infrastructure in Iran will be productive. So it will you know fuel growth for the next uh, two decades. So the Chinese want to build, build highways, ports, um, want to uh, in order to help trade uh, between between Asia, between China and and Iran and the whole Middle East. Um, Four hundred billion dollars. It's a lot. I mean, Iran's GDP. You know, it's hard to calculate it when the currency is moving so fast and so dramatically, but it's, I don't know, let's say it's 150 billion right now, anywhere between 100 and 200. Um, uh, you know, so 400 billion is a, is, is, is a lot of, is a lot of money. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's bigger than um, the cohesion funds in, in the EU that Eastern Europe got from the Western Europe. Um, it's bigger than Marshall Plan, you know, after the Second World War. Um, and And most of it would be up front, so they would spend much more at the beginning than at the end of this 25-year-long uh, period. Uh, and also, obviously, Iran needs to pay for it, but they would pay in discounts on oil price, um, which is great because otherwise this oil will just stay in the ground, right? They will not be able to sell it because of sanctions, because of whatever, and and they can actually uh, you know, get it out of the ground with Chinese help because Chinese would also invest in, in the oil production. Um, okay, fine. They probably sell it at 30% discount or whatever. Uh, and this is and this is how they pay for uh, something that they really need. Um, so um, so this is this is a tremendous opportunity to be- Is that gonna go ahead? Where's the latest update on that? Because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, so uh, a couple of months ago, um, like fourth quarter last year, uh, the foreign minister of Iran uh, announced the deal as a sign, but no no details were were shown. So we'll see. You 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 don't know this. You know this actually. If if this is the case and this this could really go through, this makes Iran's position in um, uh, talking when talking to the US much stronger because because they actually have a plan B for the first time. You know, in a while. So if they do accept Chinese money and they get some permission to open up. They're going to get Western capital as well. I mean, that's one hell of a story. If yeah, if you that's the capital. That would be best of 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 both both worlds. So my understanding, my feeling is that um, Iranians, their aspirations, they they feel closer to the European culture and uh, would like to get uh, more European investment, um, however, or Western investment. Um, however. Maybe this this has changed after JCPOA and after you know it just didn't work out and there was a lot of hope and then it was crushed and it didn't work out. So maybe right now it will be more about okay, what's the what's the better deal? But they also so okay, what 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 Iranians are saying is that okay, they are observing every country that makes a deal with China and uh, many of those countries are not looking great because they need to leverage a lot, have high debts to. To, to pay for you know the the constructions that Chinese require from them and then have problems and so on um, they also see you know that um, um, Chinese are potentially uh, colonizing you know Africa again and they would not like to become a colony and there is this very strong sense of you know strong like uh, yeah, pride support their own workers into the country to do the work as well so it's in these African nations this huge pool of Chinese workers that the, the yeah, locals yeah. didn't actually benefit. So it's not only this; it's not only workers. It's also um, security forces, right? They don't, they will not call it uh, is the Chinese army, but uh, but there will be Chinese people with guns on the ground. And this is actually what was you know hotly really debated in, in the parliament in Iran. 
that they don't want. It's a sovereign issue, right? They don't want other troops in the country, right? Then I was having conversations. Obviously, it's not the same thing, but I was having conversations, just showing them in different perspective. And I was saying, look at the Eastern um, European countries. They compete with each other to have um, military bases of the US or some other countries, right? So it's a different perspective. And finally, Russia. How does Russia fit into this as well? Because that's another key player in all of this. Yes, absolutely. So um, um, Iran would like to... Uh, so there is a... The cooperation could be in 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 um, uh, weapons, for example, sales. So Iran needs to buy weapons. Uh, Russia wants to sell it. I think the UN embargo is already uh, gone. So um, they 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 should be able to make a deal soon. This, which obviously the US won't like it. No one will like it. But 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 neither of these countries will care. I guess. Um, then Russia is helping to sell Iranian oil. So, you know, Russia is selling its own oil, but I guess how they do it is they they buy Iranian oil, they use Iranian oil and just sell more of their own oil outside of foreign markets. Russia's mainly de-dollarized, so there's very limited the U.S. can do about Russia, I guess. Well, commodity trading is still dollarized. Um, but, um, well, Russia discovered what, what Iran discovered many decades ago. So after uh, Russia was put on sanctions, um, different types of sanctions. Um, and it was difficult to export certain products to Russia. Um, they started um, producing them themselves. So suddenly many industries are you know, going through a renaissance. I mean, like um, agricultural, for example, um, or uh, you know, I was meeting some Russians in Moscow and they were complaining that, okay, for some time, we couldn't get a really good cheese, French cheese in Moscow, right? That was a problem. Uh, but then they started producing their own, like really, really good cheese. So, uh, or with apples or many different products. Um, so they become, uh, they became uh, more self-sufficient. And you know, maybe this is the reason why Iranian economy is so diversified and uh, not relying on oil and gas entirely because they didn't have a choice. They had to develop all those different industries uh, throughout the years. Um, uh, and 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 right now it's a it's 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 a completely different model than than the Russian model, for example, which still, as in terms of GDP, it relies on on commodity sales. You mentioned before about the use of potential use of crypto. I think we were talking off camera. Potential use of crypto. We've seen that there's potentially crypto mining starting in Iran, and then using the crypto rails, whether it's stable coins and stuff, to get around the SWIFT thing. What are you seeing or hearing in that regard? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I think this is an obvious, obvious way to go because. Um, the main problem for Iranian companies is that they are disconnected from SWIFT for Iranian banks. Um, so this is blocking everything. Even if companies are allowed, foreign companies are allowed to do business in Iran, then they cannot get paid. Basically, their Iranian partner, you know, has the money, is is ready to pay for the service product, whatever, but is just unable to make the transfer. Uh, and this is this is such a common problem that. Um, it requires a solution. And what seems to be the best solution is, is, is crypto because it doesn't require SWIFT. And um, you can make transactions uh, using you know, Bitcoin or stable coins actually for you know, paying for settlement transactions, something that is um, less volatile than Bitcoin is better. So that's why stable coins are becoming uh, popular. So it is actually happening, not on a large scale, so at least I haven't heard about it, but um, um, what I did see is that smaller companies, individuals, and then also smaller companies are trading Bitcoin, paying with Bitcoin or stable coins, uh, transferring money, um, Iranian families that want to help uh, you know, their families in Iran. Um, yeah, so Iranian diaspora that wants to help their families in Iran, they transfer crypto. Um, uh, companies are getting paid in crypto. So Iranians, they 
initially there was it was there was no regulation around it no one really knew how to treat crypto you know those countries very often have uh, this instinct to regulate things right that they want to control right so 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 initially they banned crypto but they they changed the legislation they actually legalized mining so before mining uh, was not regulated now that then obviously it was great for the miners because they they were taking advantage of highly subsidized electricity rates i think i think bitcoin mining at some point was um uh, the most profitable in iran because the the electricity rates were the lowest in the world because of the subsidies um uh, which obviously doesn't make sense in the long term so so it was actually wise that they regulated it they said okay you can do mining no problem but uh, you need to pay uh, you know the, the some 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 higher electricity rates without the subsidies and look and when you think about it this is like them printing their own hard currency um which they can use to pay to anyone that can then convert it to whatever fiat currency he wants and you can and you can use such crypto pairs and crypto to fiat um crosses that never touch the dollar and you can go through crypto exchanges that are not located in 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 the US uh, and then you're not violating sanctions um obviously it's all i guess traceable and so on but but it's not a problem because because you're not doing anything wrong right you 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 have this activity uh, that you that you're allowed from the sanctions perspective to do in iran you're investing or trading or whatever with them and this is just the alternative payment method that you're using and 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 it's not only for iran i mean obviously all the countries that have uh, problems with sanctions like russia venezuela you know, china to some extent maybe as well um, um they could be using crypto to um to pay each other. My final question is what's the probability that we get the outcome that you and I have been looking for over the next 5 years that Iran is able to open up a bit more again. So look, I'm I'm optimistic. Um I have been I am looking at, at this long term. Um Okay, so I think we're going to get it over the next 5 years, but I I actually something else is more more important. Um you can make a bet that is very asymmetrical so you don't have to bet on the probability that yes i'm you know super convinced so i'm going to go and invest in the country no the valuations of local assets don't price the good scenario at all no um you had four years of trump uh the currency went down by 85% well can it depreciate further of course but unless there is some shock i wouldn't expect like a big drop of the magnitude that that we've seen um companies are operating under really difficult um in, in a difficult environment so under sanctions with um no access um, um to some export markets with no access obviously to international finance with no access to uh you know parts or inputs that they require um uh, for in some in some industries and they survived and not only they survived they actually managed uh, to grow their earnings to 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 grow their businesses and those companies are super resilient so think about uh you know uh, inventories working capital many times bigger than your usual western companies so and uh, so so very inefficient you could say but this helps them to to survive every scenario right and still have high margins and so on so when i look at the country and see what what and those companies what they actually managed to achieve under such tough you know scenario under sanctions of the most powerful economy in the world um um you know and then i think okay so what what happens if it, this opens best, up best performing stock markets in dollar in dollar terms over the last 5 years with all of that exactly exactly so so what might happen when this opens up So you're buying those companies right now after the recent correction in the market you're buying at between four times and six times forward next year um, earnings uh with no debt no nothing and the currency already depreciated so you don't really have to be correct in terms of the probability of you know the the nuclear being signed not to lose money i mean you you know it showed you that you can you can make money even under sanctions um so it's a very asymmetrical very a lot of optionality in, and in, having seen russia go through this which is the great example or even poland and you know poland i think went up 
Um, I think Russia did more. I mean, all of these markets, as they open, the opportunity to make money, if they open, is gigantic. So Iran's already been the best performing, one of the best performing markets over the last five years. It's been volatile. But if you get any change, you've probably got a 15x at least opportunity over 10 years. I mean, it's enormous. No, there, there will be a bubble. I mean, it's a big market. So all the emerging market funds will want to have a piece of it, right? So we have a lot of passive money going in, a lot of active money, a lot of uh, you know hedge funds money. But look, so the market in Poland opened up at three times earnings. First year, nothing was going on. Then people saw, okay, it's actually a normal country. We can put some money into it. And it, and it went up from three times earnings to 30 times earnings. Why not? Plus earnings went up a bit, so 12, 12, 1200%. Same in China. When they announced the, the mainland that it would open up, it was still under, under Tiananmen sanctions. Um, before, the, before it actually opened up, uh, but it was already announced, it, 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 it went up three times. And then after it opened up, an additional four times, right? Um, same in Russia. Uh, it was it was the same story. So this is you know it it, it hasn't even started in Iran, right? Um, so the valuations are low. We have all those positive scenarios, negative scenarios just materialized. <laughs> it went through, actually in a pretty good shape. Um, so yeah, so I'm uh, um, I'm 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 quite excited. Um, whether this is with Chinese or with the US, <laughs> um, I think there will be a deal, but maybe there will be more deals than one. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the story. And you've written articles for me for Global Macro Investor. You've been on Real Vision, and I just want people to keep it on their radar screens because, trust me, you don't get many of these in your lifetime. When it happens, it's a monster of an opportunity. Um, so you know, that's why I firmly keep it on people's radar screens. People say, "Why Iran?" I said, "You will understand when it opens." Yeah. Is you go from a small economy of 150 billion dollars to a trillion dollar economy pretty fast, and that is life-changing. Absolutely. So that's 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 my same view. Brilliant, my friend. Thank you ever so much for catching us up on all of this. Super interesting as ever. Great. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay. And good luck. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.